0: Listening to Three Mix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Mix Baby. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Three Mix Baby podcast. I'm here today with Esther, who was donor conceived and always knew because she had two moms. So, Esther, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know you reached out. We connected through social media platforms, and it's a really awesome to hear your perspective. Tell me a little about your growing up experience.
1: Yeah, so as you said before, I have two moms, so it wasn't something that they could hide <laughs> that I was donor-conceived. It was always a part of my life. They just said like, oh, we had a donor who donated a seed like that kind of thing and it never was a big deal for me partially because no one else around me was experiencing the same thing so i was just like oh it's there's nothing going on here it's not important and then um i come from a town where there are a lot of lesbian couples so i had to have a lot of friends who are donor conceived and they still to this day are not interested at all in finding their donors, finding half siblings, anything like that. And that's totally fine. That's their prerogative. That's their um, way of doing things. But for me, as I got older, I was so intensely curious. And so I was able to connect with some half siblings uh, through the sperm bank. We used a sperm bank of California. They have a, they have like a half sibling registry online And so I was able to connect with some half siblings as early as fourth grade. So they have been a huge part of growing
0: up. So that's what I was going to ask is when you first became curious. So it was around or before fourth grade? Yeah, I feel
1: like I remember my mom being like mentioning something about emailing with one of the parents. Because I think she emailed um, my younger brothers who have the same donor They had, I think it was some medical thing that my mom wanted to see if anyone else was experiencing the same thing. And she mentioned that and I was like, wait, I have half siblings. It just hadn't really, I'm sure she had told me before, but it wasn't something I realized. And we wrote letters to each other, like old fashioned pen to paper letters. And I think I have them somewhere. And I just remember like we sent pictures of our pets and it was just really cute. Like we just were like, oh, and a new friend and then i started emailing with another one and it just kind of grew and every like every few years we'd get a new one and it was just it was exciting and we still we try to skype as much as possible but it is hard because we're all almost all of us are 18 and going into college so we're all super busy but we try to keep in contact as much as possible
0: yeah that's really cool it's also so interesting that you New other families that were also donor-conceived as you were growing up? Because that's a more unique experience. Not everybody has someone they can identify with, another family that they can, is similar to theirs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It felt, I think that's what made it feel so normal is because there was like this weird dichotomy of having no one who is experiencing the same thing about like wanting to know more about their biological roots, but then also having so many people who were exactly like my family but even after all this, I've, we can talk about this later. I've met my donor. It's, I've been very public about it with my friends and they still have no interest in, um, like almost all of them have met my half siblings and they still have like no interest in finding their donors, which is honestly confusing to me, but I absolutely respect how they Want to go through it because it is an extremely emotional process. Like for anyone,
0: mm-hmm. it is. And I think in my experience, you do have to be ready for it, and that curious that curiosity can come on in different times of your life. So you said you mentioned you're going into college, and so you're almost a little bit possibly ahead. In terms of curiosity, you were definitely ahead when you were curious in fourth grade and wanting to know more. So what often happens is people become curious when they get older and they have other life events like a health crisis, or they have children of their own, and then they begin to realize the significance and different factors may come up. But yeah, it's true that not everyone is curious right away. Or if they're curious, they sort of push it back in the back of their mind because it is a lot to take on. And they may have just other things going on in their lives that are more important in the moment. And so they don't have the emotional reserve or time to, to dedicate it to finding and, and fostering new relationships on that level. And then just doing the work. You know, I, I've seen people in counseling when they are going to search for genetic relatives, they will come to counseling and prepare for that sometimes just to be sure that know, they're ready and it doesn't rattle them too much.
1: Yeah. It's so complex. And I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people who know their donor conceived, just like for fun, take a DNA test without really thinking about the, like what's going to happen, the can of worms that it might open. Um, Mm, because if it's a normal part of your life, Why would it, why would you really think about it too much? Like you're just like, oh, I want to find out what percent like Polish I am. It's not really a thing about relatives. And then they think maybe later in life they'll do that and then match with, you know, half siblings or biological father. And then obviously they'll see if they're ready for the connection. And if they're not, that's totally okay too.
0: And so you were curious and your, those around you weren't, was there any point at which you thought, why? why am I curious? Is it something with me?
1: I have definitely thought that a lot. Um, Even in relation to my half siblings, like I was always the one who was most interested in knowing who the donor was. And I kind of always traced it back to, I'm a very emotional person. So I think like I was always joking about how like, I'm going to cry when I meet the donor, like all that kind of thing. Like I joke with my half siblings about this. So I think it was just like, I do value family, really. Like it's a very high value in my life. And not that it isn't in my half-siblings life. I just think I place a lot more emotion in it. It was something that like, I couldn't not be curious about. Otherwise it would like take a toll on me.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that is common with those that are curious and so normal. I want you to know that even though those around you weren't curious, it doesn't make your curiosity less normal. The research that we see from adopted kids, and there's a lot of research on adoption, is that it's roughly about a third of adoptees are curious and want to search for genetic relatives. A third are not interested. And then sort of the other third is ends up be, becoming curious later in life, like I said, when something Provokes that curiosity, a life event, and so over the lifespan, you you really have two thirds of adoptees that are curious and do want to search in some way or form. And then there's research that's done by David Bradinsky, and he says in his research on adoptees, and he was not adopted himself; he did independent research. He said that a hundred percent of adoptees search in their mind meaning 100% of adoptees are curious and think about their and wonder about their genetic origins. So I would guess if we did research it would be similar for donor conceived that 100% at least have thought about it and are curious and wonder about their genetic roots and search in their mind so to speak. Um, but you probably see you'll probably see the same statistics just based on personalities. That would that apply to donor conception, and so you were in that third, I would guess that Mm -hmm. was curious early on.
1: Yeah, that's such. I didn't know those numbers. Those are great, and I have found like through the online donor conceived community people who are just as curious and probably more curious than me about Mm -hmm. all this stuff, and that has been super super great. So I definitely suggest anyone like a parent, a donor, donor conceived person to find out communities on like Facebook and stuff like that. It's like seriously life-changing and amazing.
0: Great. Oh, I love that we have that now for people. (laughs) So you don't feel so alone. I think that's so important.
1: Yeah. And there's like so many posts every day with every single different, every single different perspective. It's perfect.
0: (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Well, tell me more about your experience of you develop these relationships as you were growing up with your half siblings and kind of give me the next steps in in like in chronological order of what happened next for you in your life.
1: Well, it was super great. In June of last year, I flew to San Francisco and we had like a little, like I met some of my half siblings and that was so great. We had a little, we called it like a reunion, but since we hadn't really met before, I guess you couldn't call it that. And then I went out again in February of this year and then also the summer of this year. And so I've seen,
0: I've met almost all of them now, which has been really great. I guess you could have met in, um, in the, in the lab. (laughs) We were
1: were like, (laughs) we were talking about that actually two of my half sisters, they're born one day apart in the same area, like different hospitals, but it would have been really cool if it was the same hospital. We were like, you know, you guys probably like met before this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it is cool because I found out just like a year ago that my half, one of my half brothers, his family, they were holding on to a vial of sperm in case they wanted to have another kid. It was like I mean, it was through the sperm bank, but it was like on hold for them. And then they decided not, they weren't going to have another kid. So they released it. And that was when my parents were trying for my brothers and they had some problems. So they were trying different donors, but they learned that there was one last vial of my donor's sperm left and they tried and they got pregnant. So without mm. my half brother's family, like not deciding to have another child, I wouldn't have my brothers, which... Is super weird to think about
0: wow, the chain of events exactly yeah. interesting, fascinating. I just think I've not, there's a novel in there somewhere. <laughs> I
1: know i there's been so many times where I was like, I need to write something about this, but um maybe later,
0: a movie with all these interconnected lives and series of events that that made it possible. That's really fascinating.
1: And there's not that many movies about donor conceived people. There's like the kids are all right. And then a bunch of documentaries.
0: (laughs) They're coming. I just know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure we'll get them. Because It's just so fascinating. And, you know, these, like you said, just kind of the, the series of events and the, the way there's all these like interwoven themes and storylines that, that come together in the most fascinating way, sometimes seem almost magical. And I think that just creates a really, really incredible story. And yeah, so you had this connection, um, and you found out, you know, your brother wouldn't have been without, uh, without this family deciding not to have another child. Was it good to be related to your brother full, like you were full sibling then? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I actually have two brothers. They're twins. And so I didn't even know for a while that they had tried with other donors because my brothers and I, we look like very, very similar. But I also think that being, you know, full siblings or whatever, it didn't matter that much because, you know, we did grow up together and they, I think partly because I took the like leading role in trying to find a donor and finding half siblings They are not that interested. Mm -hmm. They're like interested in through my experiences, um, but they're not like super interested in the other half siblings. Partially, probably because, as you know, we don't know all of the half siblings yet, but we got a number from the sperm bank, and I think they said they're 17, and we know like 12 or 13, but they're all my age. So I think with my brothers, they have, feel less of a connection because it's people who are five years older than them and they, you know, wouldn't normally be
0: friends. Okay. And they're younger too. They're in their teens, your brother. Yeah, So they're 13.
1: Um, and so they've like met some of the half siblings, um, just like when I was meeting them, um, but they haven't met the donor and I don't know, I don't know if they will, but you know, that, that's up to them when they turn 18 or when they're a little bit older.
0: Okay, so they have to wait until they're 18?
1: Well, it's, it's, quite, it's quite complicated, actually. Um, technically, yes. You are supposed to wait until okay. you're 18. Okay, this kind of opens a can of worms on the whole um, how I found my donor story.
0: Yeah, let's go there. Let's do it. Yeah,
1: so technically, yes. With an open ID donor, when you're 18, you can contact the sperm bank and go through a whole bunch of steps. But in, oh yeah, it was Black Friday last year, I bought an Ancestry DNA test. Half off, right? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. I was not going to pay full price. (laughs) I was mostly doing it, or I was kind of lying to myself and saying I was doing it to find my just like percentage of where I was from. But I knew that it really was to find the donor. And I don't think we had all kind of agreed with all my half siblings we would wait till we were, till the oldest one was 18, which was going to be February of this year, to reach out. We thought it was going to be a quick process. (laughs) It was not. Spoiler alert, it was not. Oh, wow. So I got my results back. I matched with a half sister. So that was really exciting. So that connection was there. And I was very happy about that. Was it a new half sister? Yes, it was a new half sister. She didn't really realize she had half siblings. Okay. So that was super. We've since we've met once. It was really great. And she's a year younger. So I think she's just gonna get even, you know, more curious as time goes on. And I just matched with a few like second, third cousins, nothing really too substantial, but one of them had this really in-depth family tree. And so I, fr- I have this packet of information on the donor from the sperm bank. So I had his birth month and birth year and his parents' birth months and birth years. So I messaged this person being like, hi, is anyone in your family? I gave them the information. Didn't really hear back. But then on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, about two in the morning, I had just gotten back from uh, like a little like ball, like the ball dropping ceremony thing um, with all my friends. It was like, you know, we're at a party and I check my ancestry and I, there was a name there. Like I was like, oh yeah, that's, and then he gave what would be my donors or what is my donor's name. And so I was freaking out. I was like, crying and I was FaceTiming all my half siblings, which was perfect that it was New Year's Eve because they were all awake. Yes, thank goodness. It was really because my donor had changed his name so we couldn't find him online. We finally found and I saw a video of him talking and it was like my entire world like stopped because I was like, oh, like it just felt like I felt a connection there to see him talking. Yeah. He looked... In my opinion, he looks a lot like my brother and one of my other half brothers, and so I was like, "Oh my god!" And all my friends were watching the video, and it was like, it was it was crazy. So that was definitely like probably one of the most emotional nights of my life.
0: Absolutely, what a way to start the new year!
1: Exactly, like, and it just it felt like it was such good luck. Like all my siblings were awake, so I was able to talk to them. If I had found out at two a.m. on any other day of the year they probably would have been asleep (laughs) and so that was definitely crazy but so we had his we had his name and we all like skyped and like a few days after and we're like we're not going to contact him yet because you know he did when he signed up to be a donor. He agreed to open ID at 18. So we're like, let's, okay. let's respect his wishes. Let's respect the sperm bank. Wait, it was wait a month and then we'll okay. we can find out who he is.
0: And do you know why he changed his name? Um, I,
1: I he, I met him and he just did it for fun. Like, okay. <laughs> that's just the kind of guy I thought he, maybe is. he was trying to hide. <laughs> okay. I thought maybe no. he was trying to hide from, okay. And no, okay. he just really, he didn't like his first name. And so at his okay. like 35th birthday party, his friends voted on a new name. He's, okay. <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. I don't really get it, but <laughs> yeah, I, that I did. I, that was a question I asked him when I met him.
0: And what was it like to see the video? Oh, did you yeah. have this moment and you felt this connection? Was it because there was such a similarity and you felt like a kindredness to this person because of the genetic connections that show up in our traits and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely that. And also um, through this packet that I had on him information, we had like a little information about what he did as a job, what he majored in in college, but it was like, you know, just enough information that you couldn't find anything online. But we still tried, like we tried really hard. We looked through old yearbooks, all this sort of stuff. Like I am I've gotten really good at internet stalking <laughs> through this. So <laughs> yeah. finally, and we, you know, we're like, oh, it could be this person, could be this person, but never had anything close. So finally seeing him and just knowing that it was him was amazing.
0: Hmm. Did you feel that there was sort of a mystery that was filled in, that was solved? A, a- he said the puzzle that was finally concrete and and gave you that sense of completeness.
1: Yeah, um, I think I had felt empty for a long time, and mm-hmm. to be quite honest, I feel like most donor conceived people still feel a little empty after meeting their donors, just because they've had a, a lifetime of not really knowing exactly who they are, um, not knowing a lot about their background. And so it did feel like, a, you know, like a little puzzle piece um, had been placed in my life. It's almost indescribable. It's like every single person I know when they like finally discover who their donor is, it's life-changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Danny Shapiro talks about it as the information gives her comfort and will give her comfort for the rest of her life. And I love the word comfort. It's the best word I can think of to describe what it offers Mm -hmm. for those of that are listening that don't understand why this is important. It's a sense of comfort because we get that sense of comfort if you're related to your family growing up and you know where your biology comes from. It gives you a sense of comfort, it gives you a sense of familiarity and belonging, a sense of relatedness and similarity. And so, when you don't have that, sometimes there's just that missing little some people feel that missing aspect or peace or I can't think of a great word really that they feel that missing. And so when you get that concrete in front of you, then it becomes like, okay, I didn't come from an alien egg somewhere, (laughs) you know, like I came from a human and this human looks like me and there's some things and okay, it all makes sense. And it, you know, maybe you don't want a relationship, maybe you do but now it's like you at least feel connected to the human species a little bit. Exactly. Some, some people describe it this way is what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: And I think when, at least when I said earlier, is like everyone is life-changing for everyone. I think it can be good or bad life-changing. Like as, as you know, you've talked with people on your podcast, you found out really later in life that they were donor conceived, like they didn't know from birth. And so I think that can be like seeing your donor can be a great thing, but it can also be like a horrible thing if he was like a representation of the like lies and the deceit that you felt from not knowing that you were a donor conceived.
0: That's true. That's true. So then fast forwarding back to where you, I interrupted you (laughs) because I was just curious about that moment. So then you have now gotten the information, you're waiting a month. And you're going to move forward with actually reaching out to connect with him.
1: Yeah. So February comes and my half sisters who turned 18 in February, basically one of them had never wanted to meet him, but the other one kind of decided that she didn't want to either. And like, that was totally like, that was okay. Did she get cold feet? Um, I think, I think so. Or I think she'd felt like a responsibility to me to like, find out who he was like for, because you know, she's a great person and super nice. and I think she knew how important it was to me. And so she wanted to do it. But then when it kind of came to it and the process was really long and complicated. And so it just wasn't right for her. And I absolutely respected that. I didn't want to put any pressure on her. Okay. And so then I'm the youngest out of the 18 year olds now. So I was like waiting and waiting. And my half brother turned 18 in March and he went through it and it was very complicated. He had to, he had multiple phone calls with the executive director of the sperm bank. He had to fill out forms, get fil- forms notarized. It was pretty complicated. And so he finally, hang on, I got it. I got
0: to know about that. Yeah. Why was it so complicated if this was a policy that was in place and he was, had turned 18? I have absolutely no idea. It was
1: frustrating to say the least because I was kind of going through it with him we would talk on the phone about like the forms and stuff like that he would keep me updated about when he was talking with the director and it was the director was like you cannot share this any information with people like you can't give his name out to any of your half siblings if you're connected with them and he was like okay sure like but if he wasn't he obviously it didn't happen but like we already knew his name We felt like we were being very respectful of waiting to go through the sperm bank because we knew that the sperm bank would contact him when the first conceived person reaches out for information. So we wanted, you know, he would get the heads up, but we don't know why it was so long. I wonder, I might have like pictures of the forms. They were just like, I think they were unnecessary. Like I I decided not to go through with it because I was going to do it for the sperm bank to have like the record of like, oh, someone else reached out and wants to know who he is. But it was such a long process that it just didn't feel worth it if I already knew who he was.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you could share those forms, I think that would be really good to know.
1: Yeah, I'm scrolling through my conversation with my half-brother, but once I find them, I can... Oh yeah, here we go. So our donor had to fill out a... Form in February when the first of us turned eighteen, he had to fill a form, and we got that from the sperm bank. And it said that he was on a scale of one to five. He was very, very open to contact, and that was like the best news I'd ever received. Yay! Yes. I was nervous he would have changed his mind. I would, I was also very nervous he would have died in the span of you know when we found out his name, and then when we
0: got to contact him. Were they giving him an option to not be open now that the first child had requested information from the forms could you tell I think he could have said he wasn't open I don't
1: know if that would have if they would wouldn't have given us his contact information if he did
0: because I've heard that and it could not be accurate, but I've heard that donors or agencies will say even at 18 at donor release and they'll ask the donor again, are you still willing to be open? And if the donor changes their mind, then they won't give it to the child, the information.
1: That is honestly disgusting to me. Like yeah. that, what a breach
0: of, like it has to be a breach of contract or something. Like that's just Well, if it's written in the original contract though, and it's in that fine print that you don't know where it says, if the donor changes their mind, there's just so many little loopholes. That's where it's really important to read the contracts and be sure that you have some protection there. Cause having to go to court over this stuff would not be fun.
1: Yeah. Oh God. Like it's a right to know your biological background. It doesn't seem like it should be something monitored by some, you know,
0: I'm getting, I'm getting annoyed. (laughs) I know. I know, I know. And that's why I was asking you, just so curious if they were given in in the paperwork, if there's anything that says, do you still want contact? You know, things like that, that that if he said no, then they would say, you know, sorry, he doesn't want contact anymore. He's changed his mind in the contract. He has the right to do that. And we're therefore can't give out his information. So the fact that he was so open, luckily they didn't really have, they were just kind of like, okay, you know, let's move forward.
1: I did find part of, my brother sent me like part of the forms that he had to fill out. So they asked questions like, why do you want to get your donor's identifying information? Do you plan on contacting your donor? If yes, when might you do this? When did you first realize you wanted to get your donor's identity? And what do you hope will come out of obtaining your donor's identifying information?
0: I wonder if they're doing that for their own research or if they're, do they offer any facilitation services where they are counseling through the process? Not that I'm aware of, but I would not be surprised if they did. Um, I know
1: they have a ton of resources for parents, so I would expect the same, but uh, you know, that isn't always what happens.
0: Okay. I know that you mentioned the bank earlier. So we, I'll give the bank an opportunity to inform us about their policy so we can understand it better. That would be great because then if they're asking those those questions so they can gauge what you're looking for and just have a counseling session with you or say, you know, they kind of help you manage your expectations. And if there's disappointment, help just help you and support you through that process because it's so hard on a person searching just there's so many thoughts and feelings that go through their mind and the fears of rejection. And even though you think, Mm -hmm. well, why would they be afraid of a rejection from someone who didn't raise them? It's, it's hard to explain. It just, it would, you, you don't want to be, if you're really curious about this person and and then they don't want to see you or they don't want to have contact with you, it, it hurts. It just does. It just hurts. And I don't know. Can you explain why? I don't don't have anything right now for that. It
1: does. It feels like, uh, like a biological rejection, like I, I, I yeah. like that was what I was worried of, and that's what a lot of people in the donor-conceived communities have felt. Because, like, yes, this person didn't raise you; they're not your father or they're not your mother. If it's an egg donor, but they're biologically related to you, and so you have that connection, whether they like it or not. And so it is, I it's it's a really it's a big fear I think of almost everyone who's searching for their donor is like, what if they don't want me?
0: Yeah, what if they don't care? I think for at least, I know for adoptees, they, adoptees we know through research need to know that the people that they're genetically connected with at least care. That's it. You know, just, it seems simple, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just something psychologically important to that. Not everybody, again, we've talked about those who aren't interested or don't care. So, but for those that do, and both are normal, that sense of that person cares can really be important. So I definitely understand why that would be difficult and be a fear. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, maybe this Burmese may offers some counseling. Maybe that's why they ask those questions. Is there any other thought you might have about why they ask those questions? Maybe for their own internal research or. Yeah, I think it must be for research
1: purposes, or they maybe want to like see how this donor conceived person is doing, like mentally about meeting their donor, because I think then if they saw something they were a bit worried about, they probably want to, I like have, you know, more of a counseling session over the phone. I do know the executive director, I've talked with her before on the phone. She's amazing. She's great. So I'm sure she would answer any questions. Her name's uh, Alice Ruby. I'm sure she'd answer any questions anyone wanted. She does seem very busy. And I think, I think she does talk to the donor conceived people about like when they want their donor's identity. I, I do believe it is a little bit of a counseling and they probably, she probably, I think she asked them about what questions, what, like their answer to the questions, make sure that they're not lying, that kind of thing. But it has to just be for research because, you know, they do have a right to know their donor's identity.
0: Yeah, and I, It's frustrating that it was such a difficult process for your brother to have to go through or long process.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. So then finally that gets him <laughs> the information, information we already knew. We already knew his we had kind of figured out his email like all that kind of thing and yeah. like it was we had we knew like everything about him
0: isn't that crazy they're holding on to information that's accessible on the internet already <laughs> exactly it's kind, of, it's kind of silly it's a little bit silly but yeah. okay yeah <laughs> um, and
1: so i helped my half brother draft an email to him you know he sent it off i was like I was waiting. I was so stressed out. It wasn't even my email. I was like, I'm going to hack into your email. Like I was just so stressed <laughs> out. And my bro- my half brother was like graduating that day or something, so he was busy. Like he didn't even have it. So I was just waiting, waiting for him to text <laughs> me back. And he did. I think our donor, I don't exactly remember. I think he just was like, emailed a nice message. Like, hi, how are you? That kind of thing. They, uh-huh. they started talking, they found like, they had some connections, that was really cool. Of people? They, were con- they knew the same people? Just of like like locations, like where my half-brother lives. Oh, okay. And we actually, I, we did find out though, later that our half-sister had actually met my donor at a wedding because he's a photographer, or he oh, used to wow. be a photographer, and so when she was a baby, I think they had crossed paths
0: crossed paths there you go that's part of that novel (laughs) exactly
1: (laughs) it just keeps on getting deeper and deeper all these layers yeah absolutely and so after a while I was like just waiting for my half-brother to ask my donor if it was okay if I contacted him and he did and my donor basically said like I think we should go through the sperm bank and oh wow that was really heartbreaking for me and um, cause I f- felt like I had been like iced out of a situation that I had, like I had helped my half brother get there and I had, you know, helped him write the first email and all that sort of stuff. And then my donor also asked if the, his emails were being shared with anyone and I was like, oh, <laughs> um, so then my half brother stopped sharing emails with me. Like it wasn't malicious. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like I don't hold anything against him. Cause I understand you don't want your, you're going to write differently. If you know that your emails are being shared with, you know, 10 people, but that was definitely hard, <laughs> but he did actually eventually come around. I had just turned 18. I was going to go through the sperm bank. But my half-brother was really great and told my donor how difficult it was to get the information. And I was about to leave on a month-long trip to Europe. And when I got back, I would be heading to San Francisco where he lives, and where my donor lives. And so I knew that I would not have enough time to fill out the forms, get them back, all that sort of stuff when I was away. So I was like, I, I need to meet him. I need to meet him. And so my half-brother was really great, and did all that. And so he came around, my donor came around, said I could contact him. And so I think it was the morning of my eighteenth birthday that i I emailed him. And it was very scary. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I was six, twenty five, nineteen. I emailed him, which is my birthday. I was like, I probably should run this by. My half- siblings, but, like, there's a time difference. And it was super early there. And I was like, you know what? i'm just I'm just sending it. And then he answered the next day, and that was that's when it started. And we just began uh, emailing back and forth and, and until we eventually met in August,
0: yeah. And was his emails were they more open? Was he less worried about going through the bank at this point? Yes,
1: it did seem that way. He's was just like asking a lot of
0: questions about me
1: and I got to know more about his background, like I about like why he donated. Yeah, what did he say? He mentioned that he wanted to help lesbian couples create families because I think he was very involved in like the lesbian community when he was younger. Uh-huh. And that was really good for me to hear, partially because I was very saddened to think that my existence was my, I was created because of someone wanting, you know, money. <laughs> like that was really hard to think about. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it was really great to know that he had, at least he said he had three main reasons. I'm sure one of them was money because he worked for a nonprofit at the time, but the, to know that he had a, like actual, ideas. Like he wanted to help people. That was super great for me to hear.
0: Definitely. That's a lot of donors are, yeah, the money is a factor. It does help, but they also have, they also want to help out. So they ha- it's more than one reason. It does help to know why. And a lot of people do want to know why. So that's good that you asked that and got comfort from the answer. So I'm just curious about the sperm bank, wondering if he <laughs> felt that if the sperm bank had been coaching him, I wonder if the sperm bank told him that all the offspring needed to go through them, or I wonder if he wanted to manage the amount of, of offspring that were contacting him and spread it out. Cause I know it can be overwhelming if you get contacted, you know, in this like couple month period of time by a number of offspring that can be just too much to manage. And so I wonder if it's a management issue of managing these relationships. So it's just a little bit easier on the donor and maybe on the offspring, or if it's a control issue, I'm just super, super curious. So yeah, I would love to talk with somebody at the sperm bank to understand why they're so adamant about going through the bank, especially if you already kind of know this and I you know, wonder why they're wanting to manage that so much.
1: Yeah, I I think it's like they they truly have the donor's best interest in mind, which can be great, but can also be pretty
0: bad for donor-conceived people. So who is the agency, organizations, and establishments that are advocating for the donor-conceived? That's that's my question. And that's my Mm -hmm. frustration with the process right now, is that you have protection for the donors or... You know, which is essentially, let's be honest, the banks protecting themselves and their future business. So um, that's that's their motivation. And then you have, you know, the parents. You have advocates for the parents and the doctors that are helping parents to get pregnant. Although the parents aren't getting enough resources that they need. But the children, the children, you know, they're the ones that. Where are these systems that protect and and advocate for you?
1: Absolutely, they're not. They're not.
0: They're not in place. They don't exist right now, except for the donor registry.
1: Well, and there's there's some problems with that, in my opinion, as well. But I do wish there were more, especially for parents. Like I feel as a donor conceived adult, I can handle my own stuff right now. Like I can handle myself emotionally. I have realized through you know, there's there's no way for me to learn what I've learned now without going through the experiences. But with donor conceived parent or with uh, recipient parents, they don't exactly know that what their child is going to face. And so I really wish there is more of a support system after the child was born to talk about later in life, what their child's going to experience.
0: I agree. That's what my goal is as well, because it's a life it's, it's something, it's resources that they need across the lifespan. It's not, it doesn't end at the doctor's door. I say that so much, you know, it does not end when you walk out of the doctor's door pregnant, you need services for the lifespan. And it's not every day. It's not daily services. It's just, you know, popping up when there's a developmental challenge or there's a, you know, identity crisis or need or, You know, just when you want to search, when a child's curious, or when there's a challenge that goes on because of the either inside the family or socially in the social circle, because of your your difference, parents need to have that support so they can then support their children in the right way. And if they haven't been through or been raised in a non biological family, then they don't know exactly what to do sometimes.
1: Exactly, I read a few books that was like they were like donor conceived like help book, something like that. And they were geared towards the parents and they just felt completely idealistic and unrealistic. And I I didn't even finish reading some of them because it just felt like they were creating this world of like, yeah, your child's going to be curious, but like, that's it. It just felt like they weren't preparing the parents for the emotional turmoil that a lot of donor conceived people go through.
0: And there's... Layers of complexity to that, too, to educating parents. Because with parents, there's so much resistance, what I've encountered over the years. There can be a lot of resistance to even telling your child the truth. Mm -hmm. And so there's like stages that you have to go through with the education. And so it starts with encouraging and educating around disclosure, just that you should tell your child that you shouldn't keep it a secret. So you can imagine so many parents come to me and they want to keep it a secret. So that is a depth of a, a level that you have to educate toward, you know, it's their own shame, it's their own grief, it's so much they're going through. And so you have to get them to a place where you can, they can accept that what they're doing and they can be open about it with their child. And so you do, and so you do that by, you know, encouraging them to get over their fears. There's so many fears That are bigger than life sometimes. And so it's because they've never had this real life experience with what it's like to be in a non biological family. And that, you know, yes, there's challenges and there's a lot of complexities, but there's also a lot of normalness about it, too. You know, it's just like you're another, you know, you're a family. And so it's kind of getting them to overcome some of these really deep seated fears that they've been raised under. Then it's like kind of layers. And then you, if you can get, them through that, get them over the fears of being open and honest. Then over time, they grow into the uh, more of an open dialogue. And then more the more open and comfortable they become with their family life then they can share with you know anybody. They overcome the shame completely. It's, it's such a process. And then they can get into, once their children get older, they can get into those challenges that may come up in adolescence where Maybe you've got a child who's really struggling and then you've got, okay, now I'm prepared because I've at least built this foundation of honesty and openness and a dialogue along the way when they're little. When they're little, it kind of is just all positive because their brains aren't really formed to deal with complex challenges or cognitions. So then it kind of goes from there and you build. And I think there, there does need to be more books out for Donor Conceived like the adoption community where you have, you get into the nuances of, you know, what we're talking about today, you get into deeper and you have the book about the trauma aspects about, you have the book that talks about the separation or the identity issues. And you get into a little bit more of the, let's say the, I mean, not dark, but can you know, the kind of the darker aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's coming. I think it still needs to grow. It's like a process where you have to get you have to build upon it to get over resistances because the resistances I've definitely encountered in my practice have been so strong and they're just now changing over the past few years. I still have parents that come to me and say, that absolutely, they will never tell their child they're donor conceived. It's, it's difficult to you know, start there and unravel all the, the stuff that's going on.
1: It's, hard. it's heartbreaking to hear that.
0: Yeah, but I hear you. I, I agree. There's going to need to be more complex. So those parents who are ready to go deeper and ready to read more, that they can then have those resources to, to go there. And I think you can just look at, again, the donor conception community, the donor conceived adult community to ask them those questions and get more experiences and learn more about your life, not just the parents' stories. If the parents are telling the stories, then yeah, they might tell a more rose-colored perspective, from their perspective. They don't have the challenges that the the offspring might be having.
1: Exactly. I see a lot of recipient parents in particularly this one Facebook group for donor-conceived people, donors, and recipient parents. A lot of time, they have pretty misguided views but those are the parents who are taking the time to join this group to try to you know do the best their child i mean every parent's trying to do the best their child but like in particularly donor conceived specifics they're going out there they're looking for resources and it does make me think a lot of the time what are the parents who aren't in these groups thinking like who are high absolutely hiding the fact that their children are donor conceived that are embarrassed about it that's what i get worried and stressed and stressed about is how so many donor conceived people are walking around every day not knowing they're donor conceived and that's just not right. It's not fair.
0: Tell you what, it's a lack of education because I have said before, most people that come in to my office and don't want to tell when I first ask them, change their mind by the end of the session. It's not, it's that they're not informed properly. Mm-hmm. And so if we can be better about informing and giving parents resources most parents they really want to do what's right for their child they really do and so it's not a malicious intent at all it's just a lack of information and so that's why i wrote my book just getting some of the basic information out there of why it's important to tell in the first place and it's just a starting place i'm curious to know what you said though what is some um, what are some of the misguided ideas that you've heard in the group from parents
1: a lot of them use anonymous donors and feel completely fine by it about it because they believe that they're going to have a child who they love and they're going to be amazing parents and that's all that matters like as long as their child grows up in a loving household and they were wanted it doesn't really matter that their child may never know their biological father or mother, depending if it's egg or sperm donor. It's like, I almost see the same post every day from a different recipient parent talking in some way about anonymity. And I think often recipient parents will get upset and offended by the responses they receive from donor conceived people because they feel like they're angry and hostile when in fact it's just emotional like these donor a lot of donor conceived people who are older and who are in these groups found out when they were you know 30 40 that they were donor conceived and have an anonymous donor. And they want to make sure that no other child has to go through what they went through. So it's not anger. It's just trying to like explain and trying to prevent like future grievances, I guess, from happening. And so there's that, there's like fights every day in these online groups. So I just think it's two different perspectives and everyone has their own opinion. And it's, it's super hard to see the other side when you only know your own experience.
0: Hmm. Yeah. You have on one side, the parents saying it's not a big deal that when the biology and not knowing that is not a big deal. And then you have the donor conceived on the other side saying, yes, it is a big deal. And it does matter to some donor conceived. And then do you see the parents invalidating the emotions around, around it? Is that what you're saying? Like they say, you're just angry and that's in that you're angry that it's not valid or
1: Yes. They do say like, just because you're mad at your parents doesn't mean that my kids Mm -hmm. can be mad at me like that kind of thing. And it, it's hard to see that. Like I'm, I'm in no way mad at my parents. Like (laughs) they did, they did what they could. I, they used an open ID donor, but still I'm, I advocate for using known donors. I like not even open ID. Like I, feel like the best situation is to know the person who you're you're biologically related to. And so it is hard to see recipient parents sometimes minimizing the emotional impacts. Like I have two loving parents, I was wanted, but I'm still feeling this way. So your child might feel the same way.
0: Yeah. So if you look at you know just use the adoption community as a reference. And the reason I do that, I know donor conception is different from adoption and there are distinctions. There are also similarities and where the similarities lie is in some of the feelings that children, I'm going to say children, even though you're an adult, that children have about missing genetic relatives in their lives. So that's, that's where I can make some comparisons. So just given that, if we look at that in isolation, we know from the adoption community that they have moved towards open adoption, that the equivalent in the donation world would be known donation. And we know that from decades of research, decades of feedback from I don't a countless number, I couldn't even tell you, of individuals that have been through the experience of adoption, that we know it's best for the child. And if you look at the adoption community, you will see most of the advocacy and most of the Literature and education now is child focused. It is so child focused. It's almost on the other extreme of child focused, and so you have that sort of model to look at because they they've been listening to. It's taken a while (laughs) because it started in secrecy too, but they've been listening to parents and offspring and, and what they need. And so the difference is, of course, they did give birth to the children. They had a connection with the child. They did know the child at one point. So yes, there is trauma there. And the birth parents often, they have losses and grief too. In the donor conception world, donors may not have that same loss and grief because they didn't, they weren't pregnant. They didn't have a relationship with, you know, if it was a male, they didn't have a relationship with a woman who got pregnant, you know, and then lost that child. So there's, it's a little bit different there. So we know that that's where the differences lie for sure. And then among other differences too, that, that, you know, the babies can be carried by their biological mothers, you know, in terms of you can use a donor egg and then you can be pregnant and you can give birth to your baby. And so there's, that really changes a lot of things too. But if we look to that, we know that known donation is probably healthier for the child. Yes, I agree because they have that biological information from the beginning. They can use that information and assimilate that into their development, their identity development. And so then they don't have to go backwards in time and redo their identity development with new information. So ideally, if there's going to be ID release, it should not be 18. Here's my opinion. I'll just throw it out there. It should be around 12 or 13 because that's when ID identity development begins. That's adolescence. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. So you're waiting until the end of adolescent identity development. Now you're throwing new information. Now this person has to do more work around their identity. I don't, I, I think that's developmentally inappropriate timing. So I'm rambling now and I don't know where we started, but I know that you're saying that basically that, you know, you think that known donation is best for the child. And I think from research and from the adoption model, I think that you're right. I think it is in the long run. It doesn't mean that anonymous or unknown donation or adoption is bad and you can't can't still have a beautiful family life. It's because, you know, it is certainly possible. But you're like, you're, what I hear you saying is that parents still may need to understand that their child may still need to know this information and not be defensive about it. Yes, I have, um, I have about a
1: million problems with anonymous donation, just ethically speaking. And mm-hmm. in these groups, I would like to say I do see a lot of recipient parents who used anonymous sperm Realizing, like apologizing and realizing that this was a mistake, they weren't educated when they became pregnant, but now they are. And I think, like that's all you can ask for when you use anonymous sperm is to just continue to educate yourself because you did something you can't turn back time. It's okay, (laughs) you know. And so you just have to not be one of these parents. I I pulled up a thread on Facebook, Cassandra, who you interviewed is a moderator and moderators will post anonymous questions from group members who will message them and because they don't want to receive backlash on their questions. So a moderator, moderator will post it. So Cassandra posted this question, do people have the right to be anonymous to their biological children or do people have the right to know the identity of their biological parents pick one? And so, you know, most people are like, Children know their, should know the right to know their biological parent, but there were a few recipient parents saying, or actually recipient parents or donors. It was mostly women. So I would say recipient parents or egg donors were saying, there are known donors, choose a known donor if you feel the need to know. If someone requests to be anonymous, respect that. Like the donor doesn't owe anything to anyone. Like that's... That's difficult to hear. And of course I feel that person who said that has since left the group. Basically everyone just started piling on them, which is, it's important to educate someone to the point, not to the point of where they're feeling attacked because then they're never going to learn.
0: Donors need to be educated on the front end that they can't be anonymous anymore. Mm -hmm. And that if they feel so strongly about not being contacted, then why are they donating? Exactly.
1: Like is this really just for quick cash?
0: Yeah. If it's for quick cash, then it's not okay. It's not okay. And in fact, it should be it's disqualified by the ASRM. That's a reason to disqualify a donor is if it's cash only, if they only want money. That is a that's a reason that we can disqualify them as psychotherapists. And I ha- you know, I've never run across somebody who said that. I'm only doing this for the money, but I have run across people who are felt it felt like it was coercion and I disqualified. So It doesn't make sense. This is, if this is an act of altruism, then why would you not, why would you be so against being contacted? It doesn't make sense. It's lack of education. Exactly. And I spoke with a donor who lived
1: in Australia and he mentioned to me that they, I think they've completely banned anonymity now. They only pay for transportation. So, they just give donors enough money to get to the bank and get home. But other than that, this is a donation. Though, again, that word, <laughs> it's a little hard to think, oh, you're donating a, a person <laughs> when you think about it. Oh, someone, a donor conceived person, wrote this amazing article, and I want to see if I can find it. It was on, I believe it was on Medium, and his name was. Zave, Z-A-V-E, talked about how we should not be calling it donor conception because there's all the ethical, like you donate blood, but like donating a person is kind of strange, even though of course there there goes in a lot to make a person. I'm not saying like a fetus or a gamma is anything is a person, but, but yeah, it was called taking the donor out of donor conception by, I don't, I feel like I'm going to mispronounce his name. I feel bad, but Zave Zavefors, um, Z-A-V-E-F-O-R-S. Really great about how maybe we shouldn't be calling it donor conception, though for me, it's so ingrained in my vocabulary. It's going to take me a while, but I'm going to try.
0: <laughs> I'd like to rename it third party conception, if anything. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. In medical terms, it's, th- it's third party reproduction. That's what we refer to it as. And I, in all my early literature, I called it that. And then I realized nobody was calling it that. So (laughs) the layperson term, donor conception, but I agree with you. It doesn't feel, it it doesn't feel right. It makes you feel commoditized. Is that a word in a way? so. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. let's go with it. So yeah, I, I think I get that. And share that article with me if you could.
1: Yeah, I can definitely, I can email it to you. It's so, it's really great. I've just been seeing a lot more literature lately written by donor conceived people, and it makes me very happy.
0: Yeah, good. That's right. Well, we have to speak out and we have to make these points, and we can't be silenced by those that don't like what they're hearing because that won't, that's not going to change anything. And, you know, it takes voices like yours and the people that in the community that you're in to continue speaking out and to continue wanting to bridge the gap. And educate and see a lot of the gray, and not let's not fall into black and white thinking. I write in my book about dialectical thinking and that we have to be able to see that there are opposing sides and that and to hold the tension between those two things that exist simultaneously. So, donor conception can be both wonderful and yes, you can have a wonderful family life and be a beautiful parent, and there can be challenges too, and that does exist simultaneously. And so, just knowing that people can. Come to terms with that and how they can come to terms with that. And that's how you can have the healthiest family, I believe. And so let's get back and, into the story and tell me about meeting your donor.
1: Oh, yeah. You got to meet him, right? I did meet him in August. Probably the most nervous I've ever been. And I'm generally a nervous person. So it was like, it was, I, I was so, I would slept over the night before with two of my half sisters. So I'd felt like really. I felt good about like, I just spent the time with them and I was going to go and they dropped me off like early in the mornings at my, um, I was staying with my uncle who lives in the area and I was just like waiting outside, like just waiting for him. And I was so nervous. And I was thinking like, should I give him a hug? Like what, how do I, how do we even meet?
0: Yeah. What do you do? Do I shake hands? Do I give a hug? Do I
1: luckily he initiated? Yeah. He initiated the hug. And so that was good. And it was really good because he had two dogs with him. So I could really focus on the dogs (laughs) and not get like overwhelmed by speaking with him. That's perfect. But yeah, my mom was a little, like a little, she was like, you're just going to go like hang out with him. Like what's happening? Like, I think she was a little nervous because that I was, you know, basically getting into this like strange man's car, <laughs> but she, yeah. she, I felt very lucky that my parents just let me do my thing. Like we were both in the like San Francisco area at the same time, but they were staying somewhere else. And they kind of just let me, they, they knew that this was my journey and I could just do my thing. And they didn't, I told them, I don't want to talk about it right after. Like, it's going to be overwhelming. I'll talk about it with you guys later. Like I just, Yeah. Give me my space a little bit. And they completely respected that.
0: Good. And were your parents open and non-dismissive to you along the way about your needs and your curiosities and your needs to know? Were they understanding of you? I would say
1: yes, but I also did not share much with them. Like for me, it still feels like two different worlds. Like I have two different families. Like I feel like I have my donor conceived side and then my, the people I live with at home. So I think if I had brought up my feelings to them, they would have absolutely understood and support, like tried to support me as much as they could. But for me, I was, I think I did um, internalize a lot of the emotions or I would just share them with my half siblings because I felt like they would understand more.
0: Were you protecting your parents at all?
1: Mm, I think I
0: might have been
1: unconsciously maybe protecting my non biological mom because I didn't want her to feel like anyone was, you know, taking her place. But I don't think she, I don't think that ever crossed her mind. I think she was just really happy for me to be doing something I've wanted to do for so long. And I, I never, I don't think she ever thought that, you know, she would be replaced just simply because we don't have any biological connection, but like she, she's raised me for 18 years. So it's not like, it's not, it's never going to happen. She's never going to be replaced. But I think subconsciously I was trying to protect her, but, but it was also just me wanting to also protect myself.
0: Yeah. Okay. Protect yourself from having to do a lot of explaining or, you know, you needed to process it yourself first?
1: Yeah, I, and to be honest, I don't think I've fully processed it still and it's been a few months. And so I think, yeah, it was kind of just like being a little scared of opening up about something. It's about something so like vulnerable.
0: Now, did you have a counselor to talk to or anybody at all during the process? I did not. I kind of,
1: I posted on a donor conceived Facebook group and that was kind of my, that was my therapy. That was my counseling. And my uncle is a therapist and I was staying with him. So uh, he was, I kind of, I I guess I kind of did have counseling because I talked with him. Nice. Yeah. I do think that for me, therapy is not really my thing. Tried it before, but I do think that donor conceived people who do meet their donor, who are feeling this way absolutely should try counseling or therapy just once. And if it doesn't work for them, then it doesn't. But I do think it's important to get like a somewhat impartial third party to talk about all this who doesn't really know, doesn't have any like personal, um, you know, any skin in the game,
0: (laughs) skin in the game. Yeah. And I would add to that, that make sure the counselor is experienced with adoption or donor conception don't mm-hmm. go to a, another specialty or a, a counselor that's a general counselor. They just will not understand the intricacies and the depth of this. And you might feel further dismissed mm-hmm. by them just because they don't know. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend finding a, a specialist.
1: Actually, someone posted in one, a donor conceived group, I was in like, does anyone know a good therapist in the Bay area who's, who has experience with childhood trauma and with donor conceived. And I was like, immediately just like sent them my uncle's name and like all this sort of thing. Cause I was like, this is like, he he knows like everything about what I was going through or everything that I was willing to share. And so I was like, so excited for that.
0: Wonderful. Yes, absolutely. And I also can do counseling for people over video or consultation over video too. So that just so people know out there that are listening, if you need to talk to somebody, you can certainly, you know, set up an appointment with me. So, so tell me more about meeting him and just how you felt and kind of ongoing what's happened since then. And what's your relationship like since?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we went on a hike with his dog and I was, you know, so nervous. I was like we, we stopped to get gas on the way there. And I was like, just furiously like texting my half sisters. Um, <laughs> but it was strange, especially because the day before we met, he emailed me basically being like, I don't feel like I'm going to be what you were, you're expecting. Like maybe temper your expectations. And that was a really weird email for me to get, but I was like, you know what? I understand what he's feeling. He's feeling confused. He's probably feeling nervous. And so I emailed back being like, I don't have any expectations, which I truly, I thought I didn't (laughs) like, I really didn't think that I had, I was just excited to meet him. But when I did, and I don't want to say anything bad about him because he's a great person, but when I met him, he was, very different than what I had built him up in my mind to be because I had this, you know, packet of information on him. And I think I finally realized it when he asked me about my relationship with my parents. And I mentioned how eerily similar I am with my biological mom. We are, we're very similar. We have the same humor. We both are very, well, actually it's funny. We're born on the same day. (laughs) We're very emotional and motherly. Like we're both mother, like everything around us and we're very empathetic. And I told him that and he was like, Oh, that's so funny. I think I was born without the empathy gene. Like he was making a joke, but I realized like that was it. He's not an empathetic person. And that was very hard for me to connect with him. Process. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Because I'm pretty empathetic. Most of my half siblings are like more than average and have a more than average empathetic level. So I realized like that was it. Like that was a thing that just felt not, didn't feel off. It just was like jarring.
0: Yeah. Especially if you think about he's donating his sperm Mm
1: -hmm. and if
0: he lacks the empathy gene and yet he's donating because he's saying he's empathizing with people that need to raise a family doesn't it call call into that into question a bit
1: yeah that was it, it was definitely like a whirlwind for me to hear that and then to just be like to i would just like replay it over and over in my mind the whole day and like it was nice we talked we you know went out to lunch and i was very curious about like what traits I'd gotten from him. Like I'm, I'm a vegan and he had been vegan in the past. And so I'd always been like, that's it. Like, that's why I'm vegan. Even though my mom had been vegetarian for a really long time. I think until she had me, like she went back to eating meat, but like before then she'd been vegetarian. I was still trying to find like the tiniest little bit of similarities. And then it turned out he, he, you know, had been vegan just for a little bit. And then he was, I think he's still vegetarian. So I was still like, yes, that's it. But i still i don't feel like we're very similar and i think that was another really difficult thing and i didn't see any some i didn't see many similarities between him and my full brothers though i did maybe see a few with some of my half brothers but it was just i was just searching for something that i don't really think was there
0: so i think this is something some really important to speak to because What is common again with children who have lost their genetic parent is that they, or don't have the connection to their genetic parent, is that they create what we call as a fantasy parent in their mind. And that's just when you don't know who it is, when it's anonymous and unknown, then a child, going back to what I said about the research that 100% of adoptees search in their mind, this is what I mean. A hundred percent of people are curious and wonder about this person that helps bring them into the world. Who is this person? Because they know that they're a result of that person in part. And so they think about it. When they think about it, they have, they build up an image and an idea. So that's what we call the fantasy parent. And that image is formed, not even consciously for a lot of people, not everyone, but for, it just happens over time. And then when you meet the actual person who is not that fantasy, it can be a big period of disillusionment, like a bubble has popped and burst and unsettling again, because now this idea that felt real in your mind is not real and you got to figure that out.
1: Yeah, I truly believe that he could have been a whole number of things. He could have acted in a number of ways and I still would have felt that way just because I had felt this fantasy in my mind.
0: Very normal. Very normal thing to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that we met. And then I believe it was the next day or two days later, he invited me over to his house to meet his brother and his brother's family. And I was very hesitant about going because I had just, I don't want to use the word let down, but I just, I think I was still feeling very emotional from meeting him, but I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to push myself out of side of my comfort zone and I'm happy I did. I'm very happy I did because meeting his family, they were much more empathetic. So I think for me that I had f- I found, I felt like a connection with them and they were like so open and excited to meet me. And so, yeah, I definitely felt lucky, but it was also sitting there being like, wow, I would have loved to have this growing up. Like I felt like I had been missing out with them, but still very happy I did it.
0: Because they were your, now all of a sudden you met the extended family and they f- felt more empathetic. And then you had this feeling of connection and and kindred spirit and also shared traits. Did you look like any of them? Not
1: really. I do look a lot like my mom. And so I felt like I, yeah, I wasn't really seeing a lot of like connections physically, but then just like talking with people about like interests and stuff like that. There were like a few more things.
0: And what about mannerisms?
1: Yeah, I was really trying to watch that. I don't feel very self-aware of my own mannerisms, but I felt like I could see some of my half brother's mannerisms in some of them. So that was, that was definitely cool. And I was, you know, the whole time just thinking like nature versus nurture sort of stuff.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes it's a style of dialogue too. Some families enjoy dialogue around certain topics. Other families tend to lean towards maybe different topics that are more surface level. And so when biological relatives meet for the first times, sometimes there's an ease of conversation because of the style of dialogue that somehow comes from, you know, maybe some genetic pieces. Other times it's not. Other times it's very much the dialogue is more about who the family that raised you. Sometimes it's a combination and so there's a lot of little again nuances about genetic similarities that we it's really hard to explain. I'm sure we can do some research and get some, you know, terms about that, but there are these connections that are there that are so interesting and, and hard to describe? And then there's other things like you describe where there's not. there's differences. And so for you, you're trying to sort out both. What, what do I have in common and what is very different and feels very foreign to me? And then is that okay? Yeah. And so there was a letdown for you that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, And yeah, it's all part of the assimilation of who you are is by seeing the differences and the similarities. And knowing what you are and knowing what you're not. And I think that's what helps with the identity development. It gives you that sense of comfort that we spoke to earlier, that sense of comfort of teasing out your understanding of yourself. And you're a very deep person. So you need that deep understanding of yourself. Others don't, but you do. And that's important to you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I've definitely come to realize like, it's okay that we're different. Like when it first happened, I was like, why? Why is this happening? Like, why are we so different? And I'm like, course we're different. We're different people. You were raised different, different families. Exactly. Yeah. And if I had been raised by him, I'd probably be a different person now. And I'm, and I wouldn't want that. So I'm, I've mostly come to peace with it. It's just still the emotional, I don't want to say trauma,
0: but like emotional experience that I'm still Confusion. feeling. Yeah, exactly. It's confusion and you're right in the middle of it. You're right in the middle of it. And so it's so good to hear from you so people can hear the process as it's happening. Not afterward, not someone that's, you know, like me, who's maybe I've been through all of that. I've come to terms with it and I'm on the other side. I speak about it very differently than you do now. I can relate to so much of what you're saying because I went through the same thing. And so I can relate to it so much. I know now I, I feel I've processed so much since then and learned so much that I probably can't even articulate it very well, but it's really good for others to hear how confusing it is when you're going through it and just the, the detail that you have to figure out in your mind if you do have that kind of depth of mind where you you want to get into all these little nooks and crannies, <laughs> then it is, it's a very complex and confusing and there's so many emotions that that go along with it. Mm-hmm. It takes time to sort out. Yeah. It just, it's a complicated issue,
1: but as long as people keep on talking about it and learning about it, I think that, you know, recipient parents, donors, and donor conceived people alike can all, you know, reach the best level of education and like the best emotional place.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'll give you an example. I remember, you know, one aspect of myself that was different than my adoptive parents. It was just so different. Like I tended to be more outspoken or have these moments where I could get very bold and outspoken. And that's not, that was not my adoptive parents. They just, you know, were very polite and just wild mannered and didn't, didn't get that way. And so I would resist that in myself a lot. And then when I met my birth father's side of the family, I saw my, one of my aunts in particular, she's really, you know, we were out riding on a bus in Vegas one night and she was real bold and outspoken. And I remember just like being like this big smile on my face. Like mm-hmm. I was so happy that I was like, okay, that's just me. Like, that's okay. That I didn't have to repress that part of myself because I knew that was me. And so then I could take on you know, the pieces that were genetic and and embrace them and go, you know, own them. And then also know that there were lots of things about my birth family that I didn't relate to at all. And that I was raised very differently and that I had a different experience. And I really appreciated that, how I was raised differently and those parameters that maybe I lived under that gave me a sense of stability in a way that formed me and made me who I am. So I am who I am today because of all of the people, because of all of the genetic people that I didn't know. And I do know now and and because of my all of my family that I was raised with, brothers, my mom, and my dad, all my aunts and uncles and cousins, I am the person I am because of it all. I am both. And that's what I think just being able to, to merge the two really was p- like profound for me personally. Yeah. And I hope that you can get that sense too. I, th- I hope that you can find that too and the peace in that process.
1: Well, I loved that story. It's just like, it shows every every single person is going to have a vastly different experience, and you just have to find your own place, like within your biological family and within your social family. So it's just, it's so great. I think especially recipient parents just have to see that like there's not a formula for how your kid's going to turn out. It's just going to be they're going to live their life, and they might have struggles along the way, and they might not. So it's just doing the best they can to support them.
0: That's right. Keep learning. Adapting, growing with, asking questions, keep that dialogue open, that healthy, open dialogue with your kids. And then you're going to know where they're at. And it may not be until they're 30 that they go through this kind of, let's say, crisis of, oh my gosh, I need to know this information now. And if you're there and you can support them on then too, great. If not, it might be just their own process for them to go through at that point. The more adaptable, flexible, and open you can be as a parent going into the process, then just kind of, Take the the twists and turns that life gives you, and know that you can handle the challenges with your child, and you can go through this together. that that's that's the most healthy way I think that any of us can do it. Well, it was so great talking with you today. yes, thank you so much. Definitely,
1: it's so important to share for me, at least to like share and to spread like the donor conceived story because it is so under portrayed in like general media. So that's why like I, my goal is to try to like listen to as many podcasts, read as many articles, all that kind of stuff about donor conceived because I'm still learning. There's never going to be an end to my learning about other donor conceived people or recipient parents. So it's, it's just as hard as it might be. It's generally, it's a fun time
0: to learn more about yourself and to learn more about other people. It really is. And I will say, you know, I've, I've having worked with parents for 10 years, I will say that really most of them want, they really want to do what's best for their kids. And I agree like you, that those that are asking questions and seeking information, those aren't the ones I worry about at all because they're going to get there. And even if they're not there yet over time, as their child grows and as things, you know, come up, they'll, They'll understand it more and more, especially if they keep seeking information. I mean, they're just some f- fantastic, amazing parents that I've come across out there, and I'm, I'm blown away and and admire their love of learning and their commitment to being the best parent they can be in and wanting their child's perspective. I'm in contact with a lot of them on Instagram, so I'm really I have to present that side too. And I think my goal for this podcast was to bridge the voices between you, the donor conceived, and those parents and really get the best of both worlds so we can start talking to each other they can, or you guys can start talking to each other and to raise the bar for the whole field it's your voice that we need to hear from thanks for listening If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.